It may be sunshine out there, but my eyes are still heavy. I don't know about you. I was just telling Hank that uh, time change uh, when you're a preacher affects your whole uh, uh, chemistry, biochemistry. You have a pattern, and then it gets out of uh, pattern, and then the morning's different, and then the afternoon's different. This afternoon, I took a nap. I always take a nap on Sunday afternoon, but this, this time I fell asleep, woke up, did not know my name. Uh, did not know where I was, wanted to know why I was dressed. Uh, it, was, it was like uh, scary. Did I, did I have a stroke I didn't know about? I mean, it was, I, I had no idea, so I, I really uh, was out of it. Tonight, we invite you to take uh, the Bible that you might have with you, the paper electronic, and look with us to the book of John, chapter 4. We're studying the book of John, the book of John on Sunday night. And tonight, we're going to look at a, a story... <clears throat> A very important story of Scripture, and I'll explain it in a few moments, that gives us insight in how to share your faith, how to talk to people about a gospel conversation. And so John, and we'll look at this in a moment, John, in chapter 3, we see Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Now we're going to see Jesus talking to a woman. Two completely different stories, two completely different ways of talking with them, but the same way he's trying to get them to make a decision so let's look at it john chapter 4 beginning with verse 1 it says therefore when the lord neither the pharisees had heard that jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than john although jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were he left judea and went away into galilee and he had to pass through samaria And so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? gave us the well and drink of himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look at the story, this passage, this text, we ask you, as always, to guide us into it. That, Father, we will understand it, but also, Father, that we may take from it what you're trying to teach us. Let us realize our job is to share our faith. And Jesus has given to us a picture of that. So guide us, Father, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Recently, I read a very disturbing article on evangelism in the United States. And basically, here's what the author was saying. He said, there's a lack of evangelism and witnessing. And he went on to give some statistics. He says, very few people actually share their faith. And he gave some, some, some other statistics about this, but we've already knew this. We've already known this. People are not sharing their faith. In fact, Lifeway did a survey last year and found out that three out of ten unchurched Americans, three out of ten unchurched Americans have never had anyone share Christ with them one-on-one. Seventy percent of the unchurched Americans have never had a person come to them, talk to them one-on-one about how to become a Christian. This is why we're losing ground. You want to know why we're losing ground? Do you want to know why uh, our country is, is in the shape it's in? We are not personally sharing our faith to a lost world. We are pointing to other people. We're saying, well, let them come here. But we are to be going out and talking to people one-on-one. We are losing ground, and we need to stop it by beginning to share our faith. And the question is, how do you do that? In our text, we really find out how. I said a few moments ago, this is a very amazing passage because this is the longest recorded conversation anyone ever had with Jesus, including the disciples in Scripture. Of all the conversations Jesus ever had, this is the longest one. Why would God put it here? Why would God give us this conversation? It's longer than all the the disciples. It's longer than than the one with Nicodemus. Why this unknown woman will we have this long conversation? I mean, it's almost as if God is pointing to this story to us and telling us, you need to understand what's taking place here. It's a story about Jesus on his journey. And he comes to this tiny village of Sychar. We, we actually know where that is. It was in Samaritan territory. You had roads, two roads coming together. One came from Jerusalem on the way to Capernaum, and then you had another one from Jericho toward the Mediterranean Sea. And so there's really like a crossing place here. And this is where Sychar was. We also know where this well is. This well is, a, is one half mile outside the village of Sychar. This is the well that Jacob dug, the, the patriarch. We know exactly where it is. We know the whole story. And Jesus is coming here to meet a woman that she thought was just random. But I submit to you it wasn't random. I think Jesus knew exactly who he was going to meet on this day. 
So let's look at the passage. It begins with a contact. That's where he starts saying that, that, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Verse 3, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you understand geography of the Bible in the New Testament, it's really pretty simple. You had the Galilee in the north, you had Samaria in the middle, and you had Judea in the south. If you look at a map, you go from one place to the other, you had to go through Samaria. Now, most Jews did not. They did not go through Samaria. But you, if you look on a map, it's a straight shot. And so in verse 3, it says, um, verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Why? Why did Jesus had to go? There had to be a reason. Well, some people believe he went there because of what it said in verse 1, about, so he would avoid the confrontation with the Pharisees. Uh, some believe that he did this to establish a ministry in Samaria. Some believe that this had to avoid imprisonment because of what they're about to do to John the Baptist. Some said, well, this is just the Holy Spirit leading him. Whatever the case, Jesus says, the Bible says Jesus had to go. And again, normally Jews wouldn't do this. They avoided Samaria. They didn't, didn't even want to touch the ground. The Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. They hated each other. A few weeks ago on Wednesday night, I was talking about this, this, this conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. It's really hard to explain the hatred they had. It went all the way back to about 721 B.C. When the Assyrians came in, they conquered Israel and the, the ten tribes, and, and they brought the, the captivities to their place, and then they sent other Gentiles back. And over time, what was happening, the Jews were marrying the Gentiles, and then over time, they developed this own, their own pagan system. And they took some of the stuff they learned from the Judaism, and they took some of the stuff they learned from the Gentiles, and they made this kind of this half-religion. And they had a place they would worship on the mountain. And they had their own version of the Old Testament. They only believed the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't believe any of the other books. And they believed you had to worship on that mountain. Well, the Jews looked at the Samaritans as, as heretics. And the Samaritans looked at the Jews as, as, as prejudice. And it's really hard to understand the hatred they had for one another. In fact, it got so bad in history, the Jews went and they destroyed the Samaritan temple. They just destroyed it during a war. And sometimes the Samaritans would go and they would go to Jerusalem to the temple and they would take dead bones and throw it in the temple to make it so they couldn't worship there for a few days or a few weeks. They really hated one another. So here's Jesus. He had to go through Samaria. Again, I would love to have been there when he told the disciples, hey, guys, we've got to go through Samaria. Jesus, are you serious? We're not, we're not even supposed to touch the ground. Well, it's going to get worse, guys, because you've got to go in town and get some food. I would love to have been there for that scene. So Jesus goes to Samaria, and he has this contact with a woman. Let me pause here and just make the most obvious lesson in evangelism. We got to go where the people are. We got to go where the people are. You know, sometimes we're so concerned about our comfort, and that's not the issue. We go where the people are. A firefighter runs into a burning building to rescue people because that's where they are. He cannot stand on the outside and say, come on out. We're right here. Come on out. We'll rescue you. Come on out. Well, Christians sometimes have that attitude. 
We, we expect the lost world to come to us. We expect, well, we have a nice church building. They're going to come. We just wait. The Bible always shows that we go out. We go where they are. That's what Jesus is doing. And so he goes to Samaria. Verse 6. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That, that Greek word there means exhausted. It's the idea, I can't take another step. It's the idea that I, I'm just going to rest here. Jesus, remember, still he's fully God, but he's still fully human. He was physically tired. And so he decides to rest at the well. It says it was about the sixth hour. Now, depending on your translation, there's some confusions there. Because if John is talking about the Roman time, they started their day at noon, then you're talking about 6 p.m. If he's talking about the Jewish time, he's talking about 12 noon. And so you'll see different scholars, different books, and different, even different Bibles have different translations. I personally believe with all my heart it's 12 noon. That makes more sense to me in the story of why the woman came by herself. So anyway, that's why I'm, I'm up here. I'll tell you, it's noon, okay? And so he's sitting there at noon, the hottest part of the day, and this woman comes. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, no one went to draw water at noon. No one walked a half a mile to get water at noon, unless you didn't want to be around people. There was something in this woman's life that she didn't want to be around people. She was embarrassed. She was an outcast, something. And so she came at noon expecting no one to be there, and she sees Jesus. Verse 7, and Jesus said to her, give me to drink. Give me a drink. Do you realize the irony of that statement? This is Jesus. He created the Mississippi River. He created the Ohio River. He could say a word and it would rain. And he's asking this woman to give me a drink. Verse 9. The woman said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, this woman is incredulous. I mean, first of all, there's this national prejudice. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. We're not supposed to have anything to do with one another. There's also a racial prejudice. The Samaritans were considered half-breeds in that society. And there was a tremendous racial prejudice against them, according to the Jews. Then you had this gender prejudice. Uh, you're a man. I'm a woman. Men did not talk to women in public in that society. Then you had this personal prejudice. I mean, every kind of prejudice is found in this passage. This woman had a wall between her and Jesus, and Jesus is trying to get through that wall by asking her, give me something to drink. Luke reminds us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what he's doing here. John chapter 4 is all about God's and Jesus' sovereign grace. He came to talk to this woman. He came to show her who he is. He came to seek her out. And so here he is. He try, he's trying to break down this wall that she has. And so he begins with a challenge. 
Verse 9, again, the woman says, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me to drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with, from, with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is to say to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? There's a challenge here. Like I said, a Jew would never talk to a Samaritan. A man would never talk to a woman in public. A Jew would never ask for water, drink from the cup of a Samaritan. You wouldn't even touch the cup. And in that process, Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me to give you living water. And she has no idea what he's talking about. That's the purpose. He's trying to engage her in a conversation. Just like, remember Nicodemus? He said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, what are you talking about? Jesus wants to continue this conversation. He's trying to lead her step by step to saving faith. And so he's beginning to open up to give her some clues so they can talk about it. And that's why he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says you give me a drink, you would ask him, he would give you living water. I love that because sometimes we miss it. What he's saying is really true. He said, if you would ask him, he would give you living water. That's what salvation is. Salvation is a gift. You don't work for salvation. Jesus is telling her about salvation. If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him and he would give it to you. I will give you a gift of salvation if you come to me. Jesus is talking about salvation. But she doesn't understand Verse 11, she said, you have nothing to draw the water. She's still thinking he's talking about the well. Verse 13, Jesus answered her and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water I, I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus says, the water that I can offer you, you'll never thirst. Again, this woman is thinking of real water. Jesus starts the conversation talking about liquid water, and now he's talking about living water. He's trying to find ways to open a conversation with this woman. He is saying, do you not understand? You can have something that will satisfy you completely. Jesus is the master of taking a conversation back to salvation. It's really something we all need to do. There's a uh, sociologist, Charles Derber. He wrote a book entitled The Pursuit of Attention. He said, some people can always make a conversation, come back to them. You know those kind of people? Whatever you talk about, they talk about themselves. It's called conversational narcissism. He said, some people just have a gift. Whatever you say, they can turn that around to them. Now, now some people can do that with sports. You, whatever you're talking about, they can talk about football or basketball. Some people can take any conversation you ever give and talk about their grandchildren. So, some people, I have a relative, they can always take their conversation and talk about her pets. It, it's, just, it's, it's just a gift they have. We need to learn how to do that and take every conversation back to Jesus. We've got to learn how to talk to people and take their conversation, our conversation, and bring it back to Jesus. I've told this story before. I have a friend who uh, plays golf and he shares his faith when he plays golf. He loves to play with lost people. Uh, usually on, on the back nine, he's about that time, they're ready to talk. And sometimes he'll do a, a bad shot on purpose and ask, hey, can I have a mulligan? 
And from that, he'll start talking about, wouldn't it be great if we had a mulligan in life? Wouldn't it be great if we could take a mulligan in life when we mess up? And he said, oh, by the way, we do have a mulligan. And then he starts talking about Jesus, how Jesus forgives. There's a doctor in Huntsville. He takes healing. Whatever you talk, every time you talk about healing, he'll take that. And then he'll talk about one day you'll never be sick. One day there'll be ultimate healing. And then he'll talk about Jesus. Again, in Huntsville, I know an engineer, he talks about any design. You talk about anything, he'll talk about the design of something, and then he'll start talking about the great designer. I'm talking about God. There's a lady in Tuscaloosa, she's a mother, and every time she'll talk about her children, she'll take that conversation about how much she loves her children, but there's someone who loves them even more. And they always say, who is that? Oh, it's our Heavenly Father. Let me tell you about him. Learn to take your life, your hobbies, your interests, and turn around to a gospel conversation. That's what Jesus is doing. He's taking something common, something ordinary, water, and turning it into a conversation. So what happens? Well, verse 15, the woman says, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way up here to draw. She didn't even understand what he was talking about, but she wanted to hear more. Give me this water. I don't want to walk all this way. Give me this water. And then Jesus does something no one expected. The confrontation. She just admitted, give me this water. So what does he do? Verse 16, he said, go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. I mean, at one level, you you think, well, is Jesus so insensitive he's bringing this up? I mean, why is Jesus bringing up her past? I mean, right now she's interested in this living water, and now he's talking about her past, talking about her husband, talking about the man that she's living with. Wouldn't that push her away? What Jesus is doing, he's trying to show her that in her life she is searching for something that she haven't found. He's confronting her with her past. Now, how did this woman have five husbands? Did they all die? We don't know. Were all divorces? Don't know. There's implied here that she had been sexually uh, uh, unfaithful to her husband. That's implied here. But whatever the case, she is living with a man outside of marriage now. And the words of our Lord is really a verbal slap in her face. But what he's trying to do is the most loving thing he can do by saying, there's a spiritual principle you need to understand. Without conviction of sin, there cannot be conversion. Without conviction of sin, there cannot be conversion. And he's showing this woman, you have been looking for something all of your life. You've been looking for it in in these relationships, and you have not been satisfied. So is Jesus being cruel? No. He's no more cruel than a doctor saying, you need to have surgery because you have cancer. Well, doctor, are you going to cut me open? It's going to hurt? Yes, to heal you. And so Jesus is making her very uncomfortable for the moment in order to heal her. And by asking about her husband, he's exposing this lifelong pursuit of happiness. He is going to the core of her problem. And by the way, it's the core of our problem. We're looking for happiness apart from God. That's the problem of everybody out there. The whole world is trying to find happiness, and you'll never find happiness apart from God because through God you find joy. I don't know what Jesus will say to us. I don't know what Jesus would bring up in our lives, some item in our life that we have substituted God for. But Jesus is bringing this up not to embarrass her. He's bringing it up because he loves her. 
And not only that, he is showing that she is in the presence of someone more than a man. Because he knows her past. She's never met him before. He's never been to Samaria before. And Jesus can look at someone and love them and look past their sins without blinking because he knows he's going to die for them. Jesus can look at someone knowing the truth about their life, knowing the truth about their past, and still love them. He's not ashamed of her past, but he cannot help her until she gets beyond the shame and amidst the truth. She is so near the kingdom at this moment. She is right at the door, but she needs to confess and admit her sins. The conversation continues. Verse 19, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. In other words, how did you know about my life? Verse 20, our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. This man knows my past. He's known my present. He must be a prophet. Since he is Jewish and she's a Samaritan, she decides if he's a prophet of the Jews, I need to get him involved in a theological debate. And so she asked the question, where should we worship? Because the Jews said you had to worship in Jerusalem, and they said you had to worship on the mountain. Now, some people ask the question, is she really asking this because she's interested, or is she trying to change the topic? You know, sometimes I'll be sharing my faith, and all of a sudden they say, well, who married Cain? What? What about the dinosaurs? And I always ask, are you, are you seriously interested in that question? Or are you just, just trying to change the subject? We don't know. Probably she really is interested in this topic. But Jesus doesn't debate with her. He simply says, look, there's going to come a day we're all going to worship in spirit and in truth. And she's beginning to understand that the person she's talking to is someone different. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. Again, that word woman, the same word he used for his mother is a term of endearment. Ma'am, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all these things to us. She said, the Samaritans believe in the Messiah. It's based on the passage of the book of Deuteronomy. We believe he's going to come, and when he comes, he's going to tell us these things. And Jesus responds, I who speak to you am he. Literally, Jesus said, the one who speaks to you, I am. Sound familiar? I am. He's confronted her. She understands he must be the Messiah, and there's a changed life. Now, next Sunday night, we're going to see how this transpires. We know there's a changed life because she goes and she becomes an evangelist down in the town. But did you notice the progression of the story? In verse 9, she says, you're a Jew. Verse 11, she says, sir. Verse 19, she says, you're a prophet. Verse 29, you're the Christ. 
she now knows who he is. And John has given to us in chapter 3 and chapter 4 two different people. And yet Jesus met with them. You had Nicodemus and this woman. The woman was the Samaritan. Nicodemus was in the Jewish crowd. The woman was ignorant of you know, the law. Nicodemus was brilliant. The woman was immoral by society standard. Nicodemus was moral. The woman was obviously poor. Nicodemus was rich. The woman was indifferent to Jesus. She didn't even know who he was. Nicodemus was searching. The woman really was flippant at times. She was making remarks. You being a Jew? Nicodemus was very serious. The woman Jesus met in a public place by the well. Nicodemus he met in a private place. The woman he met in the daytime. Nicodemus met at nighttime. The woman looked at Jesus as a traveler. Nicodemus looked at him as authoritative. The woman is a woman. Nicodemus is a man. The woman is unnamed. Nicodemus has a name. The woman has a bad reputation. Nicodemus has a good reputation. The woman is an outcast. Nicodemus is outstanding. The woman, Jesus, was very tactful to that one moment he confronted her about her husband. Nicodemus, Jesus, was blunt. The woman, Jesus, began with the physical, living water. The water moved it to the physical. Nicodemus, he started with the spiritual. The woman immediately told others, Nicodemus, there was no immediate response. Two different stories, completely different. And Jesus made sure as he met their needs. So let me briefly, quickly give you some principles Jesus just taught us about witnessing. Number one, feelings should not affect our witnessing. Feelings should not affect our witnessing. Jesus was exhausted. Physically, he did not feel like talking to anyone, but he did it anyway. You see, there are two types of people. There are those that wait to feel good to do right, and then there are others they do right to feel good. Soul winning is a character issue. And so we can't wait till we feel good about it because you'll never do it. Number two, you've got to begin at their level. You've got to find what they're interested in. That's what Jesus did to the woman. He started with water and moved it to the living water. When you're talking to someone, you've got to find their interest, their level. Nicodemus, he could talk about Moses. He could talk about the serpent. He could, he could talk about spiritual being born again. This woman, he didn't talk about that at all. That was not her level. Number three, we've got to see the person more than the sin. We've got to see the person more than their sin. You see, sometimes we look at people, we see their sin, and we don't want to have anything to do with them. And if we do that mentality, we're never going to share our faith with them. I remember the story I read years ago of some students in the slum area. There was a little girl playing in the dirt, and she was filthy. And the girl turned to, and the student turned to her teacher and said, why doesn't her mother do something about the dirt? She is filthy. And the professor said, you see, The mother loves her more than she hates the dirt. You hate the dirt more than you love the girl. And it's going to take someone to love the girl and hate the dirt for the girl to change. We have a world out there, as long as you're hating the sin and not loving the person, you're never going to share your faith with them. There are others, you're going to love the person, but you don't hate their sin yet, and you're not going to confront them. We need to do both. Jesus saw this lost woman, and he addressed the sin, but he still loved her. 
Fourth, we've got to turn every conversation to a spiritual conversation. How do you do that? Just pray. Understand the person. Listen for that opportunity. They'll say something. Have a way to, as I said, just begin to learn to take a conversation and turn it to Jesus. And five, continue sharing even though they do not understand or they try to change the topic. I wish I could tell you that every time you talk about Jesus, they're going to listen immediately. I don't find that to be true in my life. Usually many, many conversations over time. And many times in my world, they, they try to change the topic. They, they start asking all these questions. Don't give up. They might start saying, well, what about those who have never heard the gospel? What about suffering? I don't like the hypocrites in all the church. What about all the contradictions in the Bible? They, you know, these are things I hear all the time. And I always ask, are you serious about those questions? I'd be happy to talk to you about them. But don't get discouraged. Continue sharing over and over and over and over. Why? Because Jesus, who is our model in witnessing, did this. And so if there's someone in your life that you know without Christ, don't give up. Or maybe you're here tonight or maybe you're watching online. You haven't given your life to Christ. And he hasn't given up on you. Tonight, will you give your life to Christ in a personal way? By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, God, I know I cannot save myself. And I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins. He was buried on the third day arose. And tonight, I confess. I confess everything. I, I accept that free gift of salvation from our Lord. If you're watching online, if you would just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. But if you're here this evening and you've never given your life to Christ or you need to make a decision about joining this church, well, you make it tonight. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And God is waiting. Would you stand and bow your heads? Our Father, 70% of the unchurched people in the United States have never had anyone personally share faith with them. Father, will you forgive us? And Father, I pray that we'll make a commitment tonight as individuals and as a church that we will share our faith. That, Father, we'll start those gospel conversations. That, Father, we will love the people as you love them. Father, as we introduce them to Christ. And, Father, we begin even tonight by offering this invitation that if there's anyone who has never given their life to Christ, Father, let tonight be that night they'll give their life to you. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.